so that we act out these tensions continually. We keep cleansing the stream, just as any impurity running downhill in a river, by the time it travels nine miles, is purified. So the life of a man traveling to the sea, which is our inevitable death someday, purifies itself. It must, because if you do not purify, these tensions remain in and turn in on yourself and destroy you. The man who cannot laugh freely is a sick man. The man who cannot cry and release his tears in that direction is a sick man. The man who cannot be violent through exercise, through sports, through acting out his violence in paper or painting or acting on a stage is a sick man. I've made the point on many occasions that the only thing you're ever going to own in your life is your work. I own my books. The farmer who farms creatively and happily is a man that knows every stalk of wheat or corn that comes up uh, on his land because he has tilled these fields, because he has planted the seed, because he has picked the fruit, because he has painted the barn. Uh, it doesn't sound like much, does it? But when you actually paint a house, I painted a house, a whole house once. I'd never done anything like it. It was hellish work. I, I hated every moment. But when I was over and stood back, it looked beautiful, and I was rather proud of myself. The house belonged to me suddenly. So we belong only by doing, and we own only by doing, and we love only by doing and knowing. And if you want an interpretation of life and love, that would be the closest thing I could come to. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where Every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And, well, Reed was here a mere moment ago, but he, he came in with a bit of a spring in his step, saying he was going to check out the carousel at the carnival that just came to his town. I don't know, October seems a bit late for a carnival, but what do I know? In the meantime, allow me to welcome you, dear listener, back in to This Is Halloween, a run of episodes specifically in October dealing with that most treasured of holidays, Halloween. But I am getting ahead of myself, because here at The Fear of God we explore, we do not explain— Except for right now, and I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can, every now and then, watch The Fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com. 
where you'll find episode archives and merchandise, including cell phone cases, t-shirts, campaign buttons, magnets, pillows. Read! Welcome back, old chum. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm feeling so much younger and yet so yeah. much older at the same time. Ooh. Yeah, Whew. that feels that feels like a significant statement. <laughs> yeah, it's a Riri. 2020 in a nutshell. So, did you did you enjoy that? Did you like that little I commitment, did. a little bit? I did. That was a really cute. It was it was a a return of your recurring character from something yeah. woody this way comes. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> I figured lean in, <laughs> just lean in. Yeah, there's there's lean in and there's camp out. That's what we're gonna <laughs> do. <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. I've bought property here <laughs> and, <laughs> and plan to set Fancy up residence. To sit a spell indefinitely. Uh, mm. uh, my Montgolfier has landed me oh, here. <laughs> oh, 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 wow, the real estate is quite nice. Oh my goodness. Um, Reed, we've got. A few bits of business, yeah. and then yeah. we can we can oh, just I'm so traipse excited. down to the... Oh, we do actually have a fun game, but we'll get to that. Ooh. Um, so, it's business time, Reed, and I'm going to work to get back into normal me voice. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to do 2020. We are, not next week, but the week after, resuming uh, with an eye towards the end of the year, our other sort of... Big tent. See, look how I just did that. <laughs> Big tent uh, series we've been doing all year, that of 2020, 2020. And this series is meant to examine the last 20 years worth of horror films voted on by you guys in this election year. Um, and we're going to kind of see where those chips fall. But what that requires of you is to go to the website, thefearofgodpodcast.com. Click on the banner above or just go to the, I think it says 2020, 2020 link. At the top, and you can go vote on the years 2013 through 2020. Vote for your favorites. We are going to begin unpacking those two weeks from now. Read that's very exciting. There's some good lists up there. I'm proud of you, Lackey the Listicle. Um, <laughs> so that's 2020, 2020. Unless you have something to say about that, there is another thing happening next week that's that is it. very exciting that might be worth some attention. Yes, that's it. Next week, we are going to be uh, doing returning to our uh, semi. Uh, I think it's by no, I don't know. I don't. I don't know the time frame which it is. So I'm just gonna hop off. I, I was love like, is it semi? Is the it intentionality you used to work I, for I, that. I, though. I was like, was oh, great. what is it? But anyway, our recurring segment called Quarterly go. King, <laughs> much um, better. And uh, this installment of Quarterly King, uh, through complete deliberate intention, uh, is coinciding with Election Day. Our podcast release on Tuesday, it will release on Election Day, and will be a conversation with some of our recurring dear friends, the pod bros, as we've come to call ourselves, uh, discussing Stephen King's The Dead Zone. Feel free, if you will, to sim- probably essential pregame is watching David Cronenberg's film, because we will definitely be discussing the film. If you so desire, you can also read Stephen King's book, or acquaint yourself with the audiobook, which is narrated by James Franco, and he does a very good job. Uh, so, but it, it, in any capacity that you see fit, acquaint yourself with the story of the Dead Zone, and join us next week when we will be discussing that in uh, full regalia with all of our friends. Um, so, yeah, that'll be very, very fun. I'm looking forward to that conversation. That will be very fun. So that has been a very brief business time. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got we've got a lot of literature to get to read, but. 
That is true. We've got a little game I wanted to play. <laughs> um, I'm so intimidated. I'm changing these I, in real time. I'm just like, oh, are you, wait, wait, yes, wait. good. I'm, I'm glad it's not just me who does that. Um, <clears throat> though I am pretty set on this one. It's just MCU entries for me. Um, ah, okay. And all the all other lists ever. But uh, <laughs> we have talked in our previous Something Wicked segments about, you know, uh, the previous uh, filmed version, which I've not seen. I'm pretty sure you've seen, but I, I didn't look at a cast list or anything like that. And so the game for this episode was cast your version of something wicked. This way comes. Oh my um, gosh. If it were made today, if it were. Yes. 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 If, yeah. It's funny you say that because I actually um, peek behind the curtain I, I batted this out to read a couple of days ago, even suggesting, I don't know if I've got time for this, but it would be fun to. And then today started just working on it and then got really excited by it. And it was like, Hey, <laughs> let's do this. So I didn't, in the spirit of not wanting to put too much pressure on you, I didn't give you any strict rules other sure. than just right, cast right, it. Right, so right. I am glad you went because I, I did abide. Hey, if this were, this, if I were making this today, here's who I would populate this cast and, and production team I made with. it with only, I made this version with only living, working actors who yes. are, mm-hmm. who are at least at, as of the last year or so, are contemporary to the ages they would need to be to play these parts. So, yes. Wonderful. Well, I, I came up with this idea. Do you have any desire of how you want to, to play? Like, well, so do you want to go by, by character? Do you want to go start with production team? Because you challenged me with that, and I did end up doing it. it. Oh, you did. Okay. Okay. So uh, why don't we start with production team? Production team is usually the first that that is announced. Um, so yes, why don't we why don't we start with production? Okay. All right. So me go first. Me go first. Okay. Sure. Well, I I there was there was no question. It seems a bit. It seems a bit obvious, seems a bit on the nose, particularly given recent conversations and whatever, but um, his ability to successfully capture the spirit of a thing and adapt it in really inventive ways made the obvious shoe-in director for this Mike Flanagan. So mm-hmm. so my, my choice- obvious. Yeah. So, so my choice for it would be Mike Flanagan, who frequently adapts scripts himself- but because I so desperately wanted to include other sort of X factors into it, I did pick a different screenwriter. So I'll pivot to you. Who is mm-hmm. your Same here. Who is your director? Um, I did pick Flanagan. I, I forgot to notate for me. This is this does not exist as a feature film. It is a long form. You know, oh, interesting. As as few as six, as many as eight or ten episodes. I just don't think the. I think you lose a lot of what is possible to really get at the heart of it if it's confined to a feature length for me. Sure. So sure. this is my Understood. my feature length. And so in that spirit, I did also choose Flanagan. Um, but as you alluded, I am still not started by Manor, uh, even though that conversation was a week ago in listener time. <laughs> um, I needed I needed to I needed to mix up. Flanagan a little bit. I needed to, okay. I, I wanted, I wanted what Flanagan brings in tone and introspection decoupled from his tendencies right now for the long form versions okay. at least. So okay. yeah. surprising. Also no one. Damon Lindelof is my writer. 
Wow, um, that's awesome. Because and and ultimately, you know, maybe showrunner. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it's a co it's a co pro with old Damon and, <laughs> and Flanagan. Um, Lindelof is a good one. I yeah. Well, yeah. because part of that is you're gonna like the thought that went into this for a novel for a source material that is so rooted in parallel energy and life. Mm-hmm. Lindelof is so good at like I, I don't know how they would craft it from a composition standpoint sure you know, sure, I, sure the sure. intention would not be great mystery per se but if you're doing the serialized television version you could do okay this episode focuses on dark this episode focuses on the witch this episode focuses on charles you know whatever sure. you could, right, right, you right, could populate right. the, the lightning rod salesman mm, you know, th- mm-hmm. there's so many places you can go right and right. Lindelof is great at character perspective sure sure, um, sure sure and something he did with watchmen is going to come back into play in a minute uh that i think lends my mine yeah so so my creative team is flanagan directing all of them lindelof and whatever writing team he assembles uh writing it oh man that so that's wonderful i am kind of wishing that i had thought of lindelof because i think that's a really good call i actually went with I would love to see that their their tones are quite different, but I think they would be comparable. I was actually not visualizing long form storytelling. I was visualizing a la Doctor Sleep, perhaps a three hour mm. singular piece, but 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 lengthy enough that we can get into the complexities of theme and character and whatever. And I would love to see how the pair of these people would work together. I picked Jeff Nichols to Oh, um, to, to, I do like that one. That's a sexy pick. <laughs> so, so I picked him to adapt the script and Flanagan to ultimately direct the piece. So that's what that's what I did. I, yeah, I, I'm done with that. Either version. I I'm not gonna let go yet of my. I want a long form version, mm. but I'm on board mm-hmm. with Jeff Nichols. Would be a great would be a great choice to yeah, take a absolutely. With the script absolutely. Um, so I. Because some of mine I want to hold till closer to the end, are you okay with me going in the order I'd like? Like I'll say a character and you throw out unless you've got some real dark horses you want to Uh, extrapolate. No, no, no. Why don't we, why don't we do that? Why don't you lead it, lead the charge on who you cast? Cause I also had some questions. Obviously all of the major characters I have a cast member for, but I don't know how deep. No, I think that's fair. I'll tell you who I did. Okay. I did Will, Jim, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, Charles, sure, Cougar, Dark, mm-hmm. and the Witch. That's all you did. Is who I choose? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's that is okay. something we should have determined betwixt sure. ourselves. <laughs> I cast. I, I cast the whole book. Wow. I, ca- okay. I cast everybody. So, well, so, then why don't you run off a few that aren't on that list? I'll run off. I'll run off my supporting players. And if you say people that are on my list, I am going to unplug my microphone <laughs> and cuss loudly. Okay. Or so that we don't run into that. Should we do the mutual characters first? Um, no, let me let me get some of my supported okay. players out of the way. Oh, All right. So, no, da, da, da. Okay. So um, a couple of just supporting players. Uh, I wanted to uh, just throw out a couple of people that I like that um, uh, c- can have a place here. So I put Mrs., uh, Mr. Cressetti. I put uh, uh-huh. Patrick Wilson in the role just because it's okay. a, it's a small role, but yep. I just wanted I wanted Patrick he's the Wilson. Yeah, yeah, he's the barber. Um, the skeleton at the carnival will of course yep. be played by Doug Jones, um, and okay. so uh, Mrs. Nightshade, Jim's mom, 
Um, mm-hmm. I picked Helena Bonham Carter because I feel mm-hmm. like she can okay. carry a kind of a, a, a melancholy, yep. a, a sort of a, a, a darkness, but also a, can be genteel and tender. Um, something that I don't know if you're prepared for. Uh-oh. I went blind color casting. And okay. I have cast people of color in the roles of Will and Mrs. Holloway. And so... Okay, well... So, okay, well, so don't I'm talk not, about I'm Will not yet. talking about Will. Right. Yet. Okay. But but to mention that Mrs. Holloway is actually Gabrielle Union from uh okay. from right. like LA's finest most recently. But Bring It On is is the main thing yeah. that I know her from. But um, so that is your favorite movie. <laughs> right. Right. Um. So uh, so I mentioned that. Interesting. Um, and then I also have a cast member for Tom Fury, uh, mm-hmm. the lightning rod salesman. I, I got to have, again, I'm just picking people that I want to see yeah, in things. Do it. Um, Why? Yeah. Brendan Gleeson is, hey, hey. is yeah. my Tom Fury, uh, the lightning that's a good rod. Tom salesman. Fury. Yes. Um, and so Nick Fury's brother. Uh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so I don't think you did this based on your, um, I, I don't think you cast nephew Robert, did you? Uh, as an asterisk, but you can go ahead. Oh no 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 no! So we'll we'll wait when we talk about Cougar. We'll do, we'll do that. So okay. Um, and so then the the only other person was again just just throwing people that I like into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also put uh, Mr. Tetley in there, and um, I put um Sterling K. Brown in there just because I wanted him nice. to. I wanted. I just wanted him to show up. So this is so, exciting. So I just put. So yeah. So I just put. Again, these are just townspeople. They have like two sure. scenes each. But I was just like, I really like them, and I want to see yeah. their work. It's like I, Sterling K. Brown being in a Swedish countryside in prison <laughs> too. It's like, how did he get there? That doesn't really make any understand. sense. But whatever. Well, the yeah. other person that the other person I thought about because I was really trying to give an eye as as I believe people should towards like you know diversity and casting whatever. So between Sterling K. Brown, I also thought of Daniel Day Kim showing up as Mr. Tetley, nice. just, you know, again, okay. just to kind of remind me things what is, I, I remember the name Tetley and he's in the he's town the cigar scene, shop. But, owner. Okay, okay, so yep. yeah, anyway, so okay. that's all my supporting players. Everything else would be cool. Your folks. Well so. then let me do my will and Jim. Will you let me do that? Yeah, Cause go right ahead. there's something about one of these that will speak to what you're after here. So, um, will was one of the easier ones for me. Um, Mainly because I just needed youthful kid without who, who so I, Jacob Tremblay is who I went with for Will it, keeping it in the Flanagan wheelhouse. Is that what you did? No, 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 no. Oh, oh okay. I thought Jacob, you had that look of like, yeah, what? Jason, Jacob Tremblay is my nephew Robert. Interesting, because because okay. I wanted I, he can bring a flavor of sort of ominous <laughs> sort of malevolence okay. to it that i think so, you're gonna so. love my nephew robert so okay. so anyway so yeah my, no, my nephew great. robert is jacob Tremblay. So. okay so i've got jacob as will okay um now my big swerve right now one of the two big swerves is so kind of in the spirit of what you're after with um the holloways perhaps with charles even um, I, I read this and I read this through my 41 year old 2020 occupying lens. And I was like, I need some, I need some non-white people in this book. Sure. Yeah. And so I'll tell you who I cast and then I'll tell you why that mattered to me. Um, and it'll maybe either make you say, Nathan, you're dumb. And this is for make, Jim. Make, yes. This is for or Jim. make you say, Nathan, that's interesting. Um, I went with an actor named Khalil Harris, Khalil as Jim, um, 
Khalil is in the only thing I've seen him in, uh, but I think he's also in the second Goosebumps film, which I have not seen, hmm. uh, is in the film or in the miniseries by Ava DuVernay, When They See Us. Um, oh. Lovely kid, hell of a little actor that that if you haven't seen When They See Us, it's it'll it'll really mess you up, but it's really beautiful. Hmm. Um, so this gets into when, when I mentioned a minute ago about Lindelof and what he did in Watchmen and why. Uh, if you if you i know you did read but if a if a listener hasn't seen watchmen uh because someone might say nathan you're importing things onto the text that aren't there originally well he kind of did that as well with watchmen he took the heartbeat of an original theme and and overlaid it and it all kind of worked together now Mm -hmm. i'm not as smart as damon lindelof in constructing these types of storytelling so i'm just going to give you the seeds of what i've got sure right 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 because here's something that really it doesn't bother me about the text of something wicked this way comes but the more i sat with it the more i'm like no here's your hook um i don't right now and maybe you can correct me on this but for the purpose of the game don't um I don't see Jim's reason for being so compelled to go after the carousel. Oh, interesting. Mm. Their uh, Will and Charles's continued concern for how driven he is to go to this. To me, in story, there isn't a ton of established motive other than the simple notion of its malevolence is alluring. Yeah. Sort of. And um, that he as a personality is kind of a wild card, like typically. Right. That, yeah. And to me, that isn't quite interesting enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I understand. And, yeah. and to me, where I went with this, and let me see how I wrote this down. Um, so the starting point for this choice was feeling like the character of Jim lacks motivation for being so compelled by the carnival okay. to escape. What if he's a black kid mm. in this working class, idyllic white town? No father for reasons we're not really given. Right. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm hmm. All he sees are people not in my version and in the text. All he sees are people not like him. Then this carnival comes to town Mm -hmm. and dark starts offering a place of belonging amongst the freaks and the weirdos, which he probably feels like. So, so you have this kind of hook of why he's drawn. Sure. But it's rooted to this friendship with will Mm. and the challenge that comes. So, so yeah, to me, it really became this interesting re-motivation now there's a world where you could say okay well are are is what you're after in this idea betraying what become the themes of the book and i don't know that it does i think you can especially in a long form version you can have multiple themes kind of toggling between communicating to each other right 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 yes right and i mean this is me speaking about an experience i don't understand but it started to make me ask the question okay what about the carousel is compelling to this gym mm. in other words what is he trying to skip past and sure, i don't know the right. answer to that question totally mm, mm-hmm. there's, there's there's a lot of socio sociological elements that you could explore there that are interesting to me so sure. for me it meant a lot okay if i'm going to diversify this cast and especially the main cast he seems the obvious choice yeah to me. no that's great i have not seen yet uh when they see us though i i, I want to i'm remiss you know, I, I should have gotten to it long before now. Um, no, I, I like that logic. In fact, and before I get into this, I just neglected to mention it in my um, run of supporting characters. I had also uh-huh. cast Miss Foley. Uh, I wanted Mary Steenburgen to be Miss Foley. I, um, I like it. So, um, but so I went a, 
thinking along similar lines, but for different reasons, I latched onto a different sort of uh, concept oh, yeah. behind the the diversity. So I'll, I'll mention Jim first because he's not going to be like in the same way that you mentioned Will, and then mm-hmm. you know why Jim's you, less yes. integral to your choice. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. So for Jim. Uh, I went with Noah Jupe, who is, uh, ah, yeah. Uh, yes, so, he was on my short list for yes, one of them. Um, so I think he would do a fantastic job, uh, as, as Jim Nightshade. Uh, we've seen his work in, you know, most specifically a quiet place is probably where a lot of people know him from. I haven't seen Honey Boy yet, but I hear, I, he, I hear he's, he's great in that. Um, but I do like him, particularly in a quiet place. So this, yeah, this was, this whole this, game is yeah. making me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, the hook that I went on, and as I mentioned before, uh, I, I cast Gabrielle Union as Mrs. Right. Halloway. Now she's she's a more youthful actor. Um, right. I I believe in the real she's in her forties, but she's you know she's beautiful and she's uh, got a youthfulness to her. Um, and I thought it might be really interesting if. What I latched onto was because my my Charles Halloway, who I won't name yet, but my Charles Halloway is a white man, mm-hmm. and. I thought it might be really interesting to have that be kind of similar to where you were yeah. stretching with, okay, in this town, they are a, uh, a, a an interracial Outside couple, the norm. Yep. you know, and, and also I latched on to beyond just the age difference. What else is separating? Sure. Sure. Uh, uh will yeah. and his father. And I thought, well, if they, if they have, differing experiences of navigating right. the world around them that would also and i also thought there might be some ways with creative invention to have some really lovely things to say about reconciling that and about you know just just speaking into that with so many of charles's reflections on you know goodness and sadness and all of these kind of things i was like that i thought that might be might be really nice so um i went with i don't know if you know this name or not because i don't know if you watch this show but i went with lonnie chavis um, he is most known for, he's the young version of a character named Randall in This Is Us. Um, oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so This Is okay. Us is a story that kind of, a TV show yes. that kind of bounces around yes. in time. Okay. And, I can visualize him. Yeah, yeah. And he plays the young version of Randall. Does an outstanding of job. Of Sterling K. Brown's character. Of Sterling K. Brown's right, character. Right. Yeah. So does an outstanding, uh, job. He has, cause I also really wanted, I thought about making Jim, uh, a, a, a person of color and then, uh, again, I couldn't find the hook you did. It's really yeah. enlivening to hear your hook because I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It didn't click in my imagination that way. So then when it did click of like, oh, man, if it was Will and if it was, you know, this is part of why he's having trouble connecting with his father. Um, right. So And I thought Lonnie Chavis just brings such a, at least in, the only thing I have seen him in that I'm aware of is This Is Us. But mm-hmm. in This Is Us, he brings a simultaneous sense of of anger and goodness like like a gentleness but also like a sort of a, a bubbling sure. frustration underneath the surface that i thought might bring some really interesting things to the character of will so that's why i picked lonnie chavis for for my are, will all, are you caught up on that show i'm not but. no we we haven't watched the last season and i think i don't know when the new season is airing because i don't know if it finished yeah. filming I, before COVID I think or whatever we finished like. season one and that was about it i mean we, I we are yeah we watched Season two, uh, we have not started. Or actually, I think we watched two and three, but have not started whatever the last season that finished was. We haven't started that season yet. But anyway, okay. 
All right. So, who are you going um, to next? Let me throw what would be my only real supporting character on here, mm. uh, and that's the witch. Okay, um, sure. And then we can get into Dark Cougar and Holloway. I um, have two choices for the witch. Depending on okay. <laughs> depending on who you cast, I'm probably going to pivot one or another. Well, um, so I, I kind of worked hard on this a little bit, and, you know, you listed a bunch of support, which is great. I think to me, her, the amount of screen time she has in the book, I was like, okay, it feels like it makes sense to, to centralize a casting choice here. I went with the the actor Robin Niven, who was hmm. the grandmother in Relic. I have not seen that. Okay. Okay. Well, when you see it, you will see the reason oh, for this choice. I understand. Because she can have... Uh, what I was going for was A, uh, an aged physical, like no need for... Uh, uh, aging prosthetics or anything like that, like an actual older person, but that you could then, uh, uh, with makeup and whatnot, make really gruesome and and troubling. Sure, grotesque. of course, yeah. Of um, course. so so I don't have much to say about her other than that. And anyone who has seen Relic, hopefully, is re- like, no, that's actually a good choice. Cause I'm really <laughs> proud of that choice. Uh, so that's my choice for the witch. Um, so what's interesting, and this may be. Uh, we talked off pod very briefly about how, um, and I haven't mentioned it on pod yet, but, um, after I finished reading the book, I did, I had checked it out from the library because I actually don't think it's available to rent digitally anywhere, but, um, I had watched the night, I rewatched the 1983 version Mm -hmm. of it. Now, possibly because of that planting some seeds in my mind for this game, though not intentionally, um, the witch in that rendition is played by Pam Greer and she is young mm. and beautiful. And, and, and mm-hmm. so, so I was actually not thinking of casting an aged character right. for it. Um, and yeah. that, and that may be, uh, be, because of, you know, having seen that rendition right. of it and pivoting. Out. So I went with, especially maybe, Maybe the leftovers, maybe Proxima Midnight. I went Carrie Coon. And so Carrie Coon is my dust. I'm witch. sad that I don't have Carrie Coon on my list for something, but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh no, I think that's so a great choice. Carrie Coon's my dust witch because I feel like she can she she can do whichever thing she needs to do, whether she needs mm-hmm. to be you know, alluring and tempting or whether she needs to be, uh, you know, vicious That's and so malevolent. interesting to me because, and I'm sorry, I don't want to cut no, off okay. your no, uh, uh, analysis there, but like every time I'm envisioning her as I was reading again, having never seen the original and not anchoring it to any single archetype, what I'm envisioning is the crone, you know, just the, oh, the, sure. right, 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 the, right. the mm-hmm. hunched over and the way it, des- the way he describes her physicality when she's mm-hmm. sewing, mm-hmm. you know, is oh, so yeah, grotesque yeah, yeah. that yeah. I don't know. So, but, but that's actually not me crit- criticizing your choice. Sure. Whatsoever. No, no, I think no. it's a strong one. It just, I wasn't thinking at all along the lines of an actual, sure. you know, our age type sure. person. No, no, no problem. Um, who's the next one you're going to mention? Welcome to the party, Carrie Coon. Um, <laughs> so, my of these of the remaining three dark cougar and and holloway uh the one they're all i love all of them and i want this version to happen <laughs> every episode now, directed by one. mike flanagan all oh. of them written i'm not going to name all of them yeah just all name them one of them at a time. written by the lindelof writing team i'm gonna start with dark 
Um, okay. Man, I went back and forth on a couple of options here, but the one that kept rising to the top for too. me is he's not quite as tall as I wanted him to be, but is John Hawks. Oh, that's a great choice. Yeah, that's he a really good choice. He has this like mildly unassuming because unless you're a movie nerd like you and I are, right, you might not right. know who that is, but right, of the course. second you see him, You've he's seen got him. that yes. universal he's he's weathered visually, you know, in other words, he's 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 not traditionally handsome. I I didn't want let me let me phrase it this way. I didn't want a slick ringmaster mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. I wanted this is a carnival of freaks and this is just the least visually freaky of them but also commands their authority right right right, right. or commands authority sure you know yeah of course and i don't know he just kept coming to me um there were a couple ah, nothing nothing that quite competed with him once i settled on my archetype i was going for sure I understand. um but I, I don't know i think he could really pull that off well no oh, i think that's a great choice i landed at similar logic but picked a different mm-hmm. actor yeah so my very first person and I never found a place for him in my cast, but the very first person I thought of and ultimately rejected was Michael Keaton because I, mm, okay, I, he's, he's, that is a good choice though. Yeah. Like he's, that. he's just at this point is a little old for the part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, okay, he can definitely pull off the performance, but I visualize Mr. Dark as particularly like he is, he, unlike some of these other sort of uh, otherwise interpretations, Mr. Dark's a young man because he moves backwards and forwards in time and everything. Right. So he is. Um, so, uh, so anyway, or at least, you know, he's, he's in like that thirties, right. forties range. Middle bracket. Yeah. yeah. So, um, then the next choice that I, threw off of my list was Robert Downey Jr. Because I was like, oh, man. Yeah. And it's like, he's going to be too jokey. He's going to be have yeah. too much energy or whatever. So who I ultimately landed on is, and I love I love my choice, but I don't know how energizing it's, it's going to be for you. Because um, I don't know if you saw the morning show. Nope. Um, but I went with Billy Crudup. I love Billy Crudup. That's a great choice. Yeah. That's a great choice. Billy Crudup is my Mr. I'm proud of you. Yeah, because I think he is- I would have been disappointed if you'd settled with RDJ. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's a good choice for us. No, 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 no. But Billy Crudup is just like, he's handsome. Mm -hmm. He- But not too handsome. He's got a- He's he's not factory. Right, right, right. Yes. Um, But- he can he can have that sort of sinister edge to him, yep. and the charming as well. Exactly, and and the charm never leaves when the sinister arrives, and that's what's what's really that's a good choice. That's what really sold me on him. Is I'm like, and it, this is largely because of his performance in the morning show that sort of planted the seed in my mind. As I was like, throughout the morning show, even in his most calculating moments, he is still just charming as can be. And I was like, that that's so Mr. Dark. That's absolutely mm-hmm. who Mr. Dark is. So yes, my Mr. Dark is I Billy Crudup. I don't uh an alternate version of me wishes I'd chosen that, but I'm not unhappy with my <laughs> no, choice. No, John like Hawks is choice. great. No, John Hawks is wonderful. Um okay. So did you say did you say Mr. Cougar already? No. I have not. Okay. I've yeah. got Cougar and Charles left. Okay. So do Cougar, let's end with Charles. So the visual reference I was starting for with Cougar was electrico i was like okay can i work make that work and then how if at all normal cougar works mm-hmm. oh yeah by the way robert the nephew is cougar as well so my visual hook was cougar i'm sorry electrico cougar right right and i went back and forth I was like no 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 and riri oh no 
one Google image gave me everything I needed to oh. clinch my casting for Cougar. Um, it's Tilda Swinton. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a great choice. It was the image of her from Suspiria as the old man. I was like, that is it. She can do anything. She, yeah. Do you remember this? I absolutely remember. You dress her up as Electric Co., this this mummified whatever, but she could also play androgynous uh, cougar. I'm just calling it androgynous, but she can do that. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. she can play this male. Riri, we got all kinds of digital goings on. Save some of your budget, Flanagan, and digitize her as Robert the Nephew. She could do it all. She could do it. She's yeah, Tilda she Swinton. Yeah, she could do it. I was so it. proud of that choice. So this is a moment, and I, I, you're happy with John Hawks, but I feel like you were really like proud of Billy Crudup. I'm proud of Tilda Swinton. Like that's that's better than mine. Yeah, that's. I, I I'm gonna say like just out the gate, that's better than mine, because I just went a little bit more traditional. But that's sure. no, that's that is that is more well, interesting. Once I once I saw that image of the old oh, man, sure, her in Suspiria, sure. I was like, oh my god. She that's, could do it all. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Don't, don't ask me how she does Robert the Nephew. She'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. She and the, she and the she effects will, crew. She will de-age somehow she'll with make her it mysterious work. magic. Yes. She'll make it work. Um, so, um, she actually is the proprietor of Cougar and Dark <laughs> <laughs> Pandemonium exactly, show. Exactly. Um, I do love that. I do love that. Thank you. And a big reason why I love that is because there's not a lot. Of, and even though the character is a male, there's not a lot of interesting female parts in this. And so that's, sure. that's yes. a really that's a really good that's a really good take. Um, so I was trying to find a place. I love him. We will uh, stay tuned, everybody. There's a bonus episode featuring friend of the show and friend of mine, Bill Oberst Jr. Is uh, there's a bonus episode coming in your feed on uh, the day before Halloween, so be on the lookout for it. But um, the uh, but I tried to find a place for him and considered him for Cougar. Um, I do think he would do a killer job at it. Uh, one thing that even by even he would admit if we were dialoguing about this is he doesn't quite have the height um, of that that Cougar sort of has an imposing sort of presence. Mm-hmm. So that pivoted me over to and I mentioned Jacob Tremblay is my Robert mm-hmm. the nephew. Um, so I went Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz is my Cougar. Is he tall? He's pretty. He's pretty tall. Really? He's pretty tall. But the biggest thing that I that I enjoyed about him and again that's why i'm saying like i'm not as energized by christoph waltz as cougar as i am about your choice for tilda swinton I love christoph waltz, but, but yeah it's hard but, to beat yeah, tilda it's yeah. uh but but that's but yeah so that's where i landed although it clearly it was not something that i was ever able to just like land on a yeah that's the, sure that's no, the one i'm with you not like a billy well, what for I mr ca- dark you know like, no i'm extremely proud of you yeah. there um because what i kept visualizing in my head as electrico was like um and what what I was hunting for and not finding just in imagery was like the Theoden in under mm-hmm. Saruman's mm-hmm. thrall. And yes, right, right, when right. When they find him until like that image kept coming to me. I was like, that's what I'm kind of looking for. And when I saw her Picking face, up. I was like, who I considered for a long yeah. time uh, was was actually. But again, it was the height thing and the sort of imposing nature. But he's too docile as a performer. Um, I, I long time considered Tim Robbins, but but. Again, mm. it was just the height that was getting me there. He's he's very docile as a performer, and Cougar as a character is much more sort of imposing, which I think Christoph Waltz could pull For a split second, off. I pondered him as dark, like as oh, the, oh, gotcha. the yeah. leader of the crew, yeah, yeah, yeah. but did that, that yeah. passed. And in fact, one of the reasons it passed, did you ever end up watching Castle Rock Season 2? I, I haven't made it it's, to it yet. Don't I feel bother. like a bad, don't bother. I feel like a bad Stephen King fan. But. And you're not a bad Stephen King fan. Um, <laughs> 
let me assure you. Um, <laughs> but he's in it, and I really dislike his performance. I, I, really? What I saw of that season, I dislike kind of in total. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm gonna let you go. Are. I'm gonna let you go first. I'm gonna say out the gate. When you told me to do this, the very first image that it was in my head because it was in my head the whole time I was reading the book. I, we haven't talked about this on the show, but there mm-hmm. is a person I picture when I'm reading the book that is Charles Halloway for me. So, so this one, I'm not saying it's the perfect choice, but this is my Charles Halloway to the end. Okay. So, so go well, right. See what's funny about this that has come up once or to- twice and you've subconsciously flirted with here is maybe I'm wrong, but I think because I'm prone to this as well. I think our tendency is to age up Charles because we are 40, but Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. text, he's early fifties, mid fifties, 54. Yes. Right. Right. So in my head, I, I, I did not, I intentionally chose to not overshoot the age, Mm. even though it's kind of there to unintentionally do. So I, I don't have a ton uh, of, of it's not a till to move, but I was pretty proud of this one. And this actor, I looked this up, is actually 55. Oh. Right now, I actually considered John Hawks for this role, but mm. ultimately, because my only concern with this choice, the only concern is he might be too handsome. Mm. And my choice for Charles Holloway in our dream casting is Kyle Chandler. Oh, he's, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he's got yeah. that subdued sure. energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We know from Friday Night Lights, he can engage with younger actors. Uh, sure, of course. He's yeah, going to yeah. have that. when, But but because Kyle Chandler plays like a dual type. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the understated father figure, but also we root for and and long for his hero moment, know, which yeah, Charles absolutely. Holloway absolutely gets in this, in this mm-hmm. text. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it didn't energize me to the level of Tilda, but it was oh, like, it. no, that is solid. 20 year old me would have chosen like a 60 or 70 year old actor. Cause in my head, that person's really old. My, my, but, my actor is in his seventies for, good for Charles Holloway. No, because well, but I'm fine with that now because I know where you're going. But I don't mean I don't know who it is. But as in like, right, right, right. right. I understand the logic there. Sure, sure. Yeah. So well, um, tell me, tell if us. we if we had like a if we had like our powers combined, you know, like that would be sure. like like your your Tilda Swinton. That's like that's like hands down. I would I would I would try to make a big push for Billy Crudup. But um, but you like my Kyle Chandler. You like I that? do like your Kyle Chandler. Okay. I am gonna in the spirit of honesty and transparency my only sort of thing is tell me especially from friday night lights that's where i picture you know yeah yeah, yeah. coach coach taylor you right know? um but uh kyle chandler i do not fear for him in a fight he will he will handle business if he okay. needs to right um and charles halloway to me I need to feel about him the way that Will Will felt about him in the great. Like, yeah, no, 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 tall. no. He's or he's, now he is. Yes, tall, right. right, right. And just and and that does it because my actor is actually I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, and and the actor I chose is actually on the tall side. But but okay. I'm just saying like I needed him to be, which is why I needed him to pivot older. I start looking at 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 actors who are in their 50s and they all look like they're in high school still like i mean like just with you That's know a stretch, but, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i mean like you know they, right. they don't look the way halloway is described and it's all about him being old so i'm like but okay wherever you're going with this 
I need your in-story motivation for why a 70-year-old white man married a 40-year-old lovely black woman. Well, sure. So we'll figure that out. He does not. I'll let you defend it. I'm sorry. He does not look 70. Here's here's my biggest thing is in the thing that I know uh, you will know him from most, they actually aged him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in some of the other performances I've seen him in, he can pull off a mid fifties to early sixties. Mm-hmm. I needed somebody who had a gentleness about him, a melancholy about him. But again, um, I didn't have any other, like I went looking for other ones to see if somebody could unseat my choice. Sure, because sure. as I read this book this time, who I saw and who I heard speaking the lines of Charles Holloway is Richard Jenkins. And to me, that. Richard Jenkins, yes. though he is in his 70s, looks like he could play a man who is in his mid to upper 50s with a mm-hmm. little bit of color in his hair. He could he could pull that off. A gentleness of spirit, a melancholy of spirit. Sure. You yes. do not believe he's going to be the one. Uh, yeah, he'll to, lose. He'll lose, yes. you know? <laughs> and, and so you do not, imagine that he will be up for this fight but when he does your heart will soar yes. within you when he when he bests them and when he and also like town public library you know like a janitor yes. of a yes. of a public library i like know? that choice a you lot know? And i don't i i'm not asking you to do this right now <laughs> i need a little more comprehension of how your charles halloway ends up with your mrs halloway uh, sure, but sure. Uh, I think Richard Jenkins is a fantastic choice. And in fact, I maybe maybe my Kyle Chandler choice was a, a budgetary and marketing choice, not a mm. uh, because I'm I am 80 percent. I'm 100 percent Kyle Chandler. I'm 80 percent sure. Kyle Chandler as Charles Holloway only because I believe him more as a hero. Right. Right. He, he's 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 got the, the chin. And mm-hmm. build oh yeah for the, of course. for the hero yeah but can also pull for the the subtle and solemn but richard jenkins is much more subtle and solemn than chiseled right hero. right yes. right right and i just i the and in terms of like the relationship and everything um his gentleness would be like like mrs halloway though i can't recall if they specifically cite her age she is clearly at least a bit younger um than than mm-hmm. he is um and so you know i not 20 years younger um or even you know like edging on 30 years younger in my real world casting i'm talking about like uh you know if you you would not present richard jenkins as if he is in his 70s you would pretend charles halloway is in his 50s and make up richard jenkins to pull that off but um, the, the, in terms of like the relationship of that, the, th- the way that I've always seen in terms of Charles Holloway's, uh, own relationship in the book is that it is his gentleness of spirit, his fundamental goodness of spirit that makes him th- the natural choice of, of anyone to fall in love with. Like, man, I love the man. Like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think it's more so whether I'm looking back to, you know, 20 years ago and his role as the visitor or, you know, like there's, there's a couple of things that I've seen him in that I'm just like, man, Richard, Richard Jenkins is my Charles no, Holloway. The so, minute you said yeah. the name, I was like, that works. Yeah. And that's but, a strong, uh, strong work. So that's my, that's my, that rounds out my casting. This was fun. This was great. It was very fun. I, I think between the two of us, someone out there should be lit to the typewriter. To the typewriter. No, I've got a hell of a 
hell of a power ranking here. That's true. That's true. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. So it's, it's fun. Remind me who is your dark? My Mr. Dark is Billy Crudup. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. I'm down with Jenkins. I think my, I think the, the casting choices that I think are the most inspired are probably Crudup as Mr. Dark. Uh, I would say Jenkins as Holloway. And then, uh, I'm really proud of Mary Steenburgen as Miss Foley. I think she's like a perfect Miss Foley. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think that, I think those are the only ones that I would like, I would throw down to fight for those choices in those roles. The rest of them are just people that I enjoy and think would do a good job. <laughs> so, yes. So if yeah. I, I would, I would, um, fight for Kyle like I was his casting agent, like mm-hmm. I was his mm-hmm. agent, but not because I think, he's the literal best fit uh sure. tilda i'd be like if i'm the oh. producer of this film i'm like um can we get tilda on for this yeah tilda's, um, tilda's that's a perfect um, choice i like the ideas this is this is we're being honest here we're producing a film sure okay, of we've course got a, yes we've yes. got a limited budget and we need mm-hmm. to utilize it well um i i need a little more work done this is some notes read yeah I need a little more work done to make the pieces fit on the interracial version you're bringing sure juxtaposed to what i think might be a little more inspired with my version of oh no i don't i don't Um, totally disagree no i don't disagree so yeah have your people call my people and um (laughs) we'll we'll get cracking on this we'll We'll get damon and damon and mike on the phone uh sure uh, sure they they're they're friends yeah absolutely we'll make something happen um so man that was a ton of fun but we have uh an actual like you know the the ending of the book to get to um so we're gonna just there's actually hard pivot there (laughs) well well, i'm sorry i'm kidding kidding. um so um there's actually not a ton in the way of like there's a there's a few little plot beats that are taking place but actually this third section feels to me i don't know if it felt this way to you in the reading of it feels very brisk brisk yeah feels like it's <laughs> it's <laughs> um feels like it's very close you know tightly knit and and things resolve uh with relative swiftness not necessarily with ease but with swiftness um so uh right out the gate the in the in the first little bit um if there is this is what i'll say if the book has a stand up and cheer moment, uh, which it may have several to several can, people. Can I throw out a note before you get to that? Stand yeah, up and sure, sure, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cause, cause I want to hang there. Yeah. But, uh, I will say like, uh, scares and whatnot. One of my only that ain't rights comes <laughs> in the paperback versions, page two fifteen, chapter 45. <clears throat> when, um, Mr. Dark lays out his plans for will. Oh my He's already gosh. got designs on on Jim's progression going yes. forward, you know, yes. go aging him up. Mr. Dark, this is after they've waxened the boys mm-hmm. and are puppeteering them, marionetting them back towards the, the carnival. And Mr. Dark says, and Will, let's ride him back and back, eh? Backwards in time. Make him a babe in arms, a babe for the dwarf to carry like a clown child, round about in parades every day for the next 50 years. Would you like that, Will, to be a babe forever, not able to talk and tell all the lovely things you know? Yes, I think that's best for Will, a plaything, a little wet friend for the dwarf. That is jacked up. Yeah, it's messed up. That (laughs) absolutely is. Yeah, that's that's pretty So please run with your your cheer moment. So... Mr. Dark thinks they've got the upper hand 
kind of technically they do have the upper hand. They've uh, successfully won the confrontation at the library where they crushed Charles's hand and escaped with Will and Jim. Um, but then Mr. Dark at this moment does not know that the Dust Witch did not successfully kill Charles. And if the book had, this is what I was about to say, if the book has a stand up and cheer moment, I would nominate the ending of chapter 46 because Will and Jim are forced, they're waxened, they're in the wax museum, uh, they're controlled by witchcraft and by threats, and then Mr. Dark prepares the audience that has attended for the bullet put trick. on a show yep the bullet trick the old the, the the old trick where uh clearly somebody is the illusion is that a volunteer from the audience fires a rifle at a at a carnival performer and supposedly the bullet uh is caught in the teeth of the performer it is an illusion and uh it's it's actually been around for so long that most people i think know how the illusion is done but um and this book describes the illusion and how it's done but um so he's preparing them for the bullet trick even though the witch is saying no 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 like i, I didn't kill charles but then um, they move on, and he he tries to kind of go. Okay, so we don't have a volunteer, and then from the back it says, "Oh, wait, here we do have a volunteer." That's great. Yeah, and I don't know if you had. So every time I read this book, I have this feeling, and I tried very hard. I don't know if you noticed this. I tried very hard not to pre-brief or prepare your experiences of moments that I knew were coming. I tried mm-hmm. very hard to just be like, "No, let me just." No, let me let me not stage this. Let me not hype this. Let me just let it sort of be. So when I got a text from you that <laughs> simply said, "Man, this this whole and we're about to describe the scene, so I'll summarize." But you said, "Man, this scene is awesome." I was like, "You don't know what it did because that's the <laughs> that's the feeling that I get when I yeah, read yeah. it, you know." And yeah. I'm like, "Man, I hope in that way that." whether it's you with the good Lord bird or whether it's you with any number of things that you would champion to be like, I hope people's hearts leap bounds and bounds like mine does when I read this section or when I experience this thing. I'm glad I thing. can meet your expectations in that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, the volunteer, a hand goes up and it says, then, uh, you know, the volunteer steps forward and it describes him Simply, well, it even holds. I'm sorry, it even yep. holds. You know, Dark is he. He is doing his ringmaster routine, mm-hmm. and no one volunteers. And then he says, "Since there are no volunteers, we will cancel our last act." Here, a volunteer yelling from the crowd. Oh my gosh! And then when the volunteer emerges, it describes him simply and subtly as Charles Halloway, citizen, father, introspective husband, night wanderer. And janitor of the town library, and man, just that's great. Just the 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 heart just cheers. The humblest of men arriving to strike actual terror into fear itself, and quite possibly to save the day. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, and then immediately after that, I love. Um, I don't want to skip over if you have something literally after that, but I love when. Halloway starts overpowering the energy mm, mm-hmm. of the show mm-hmm. and calling for Will because something clicks with him. Oh yeah, I can't, I can't see this is this is what I referenced last week. It was a little confusing to me what anyone, if anyone, was seeing mm. visually 
of Jim and Will. Because sure. like like the impression I get is they are not visible to this crowd. Right. Even though are they present? You know. So yeah. I was just a little confused about just the, the literal geography going on there. But sure, sure. um but Charles starts calling for his son for another volunteer. He says, I need a volunteer now. Mm. Oh, Will, man. are you out there? And he and it's not um it's not flailing. Right. It's oh, calculated. Right. Oh, it's and that's what's really impressive yeah. about it. Yeah. Um and calls it, it, like you you just said, and eventually with the energies of the crowd supporting him, breaks the incantation enough for Will to come forward. It's really powerful. Well, and I, I love this. This is probably my favorite little passage from that section. Uh, so he's he's rallied the audience, and I couldn't tell if, if Will had roused yet, but Mr. Dark could not guess what they were up to. For that matter, Charles Halloway did not know or guess. It was as if he had written this play for himself over the years in the library nights torn up the play after memorizing it and now mm. forgotten what he had set forth to remember. He was relying on secret discoveries of self moment by moment playing by ear. No heart and soul. And now, and then he, something happens to, to arrest the moment. But I just love, I think what I love about that idea and what speaks to me there is those, that feeling sometimes that you're like, what is the life I'm living? And then a moment, calls you to it right that is that is all the you Mm. distilled and like oh this is this is this is my moment this is the thing Uh, i'm not skilled i'm not you know wealthy what whatever i'm i don't i'm not glamorous whatever but but all the all the things that have made me are now called to summon into this moment and Mm. that's just really cool it's so wonderful. No, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't have anything. You know, immediately after it, I was just going to kind of summarize those pieces. Obviously, he over he overcomes because he had bested the witch with the power of laughter in the library. Okay, well, talk to me about that because sure, I'm sorry, not the library scene. Are you okay to do this? Yeah, yeah, okay. by lines, yeah. Mm-hmm. I. I was also a little like, you know, you're reading the book and it's like, okay, well, I don't totally understand, but I'm going to go with it. Um, <laughs> is draw. So, so in the text, if you haven't read the book, you're probably not even listening to this episode, but Charles tricks the tricksters by subverting the bullet trick somehow. Yes. And what he does with the wax bullet that's meant to explode when it's shot. Um, and with the real bullet that is now in the, in the ownership of the witch, uh, he's drawn what the text initially refers to as a crescent moon that Mm -hmm. he then mouths something to the effect of it being his smiling mouth Mm -hmm. to you is that it's literally just the, the quote unquote magic of his joy. Like I, I couldn't tell if there was something literal that I wasn't comprehending had happened there. If he was summoning an incantation of a sort, on his own no not at any so so the i think this is an answer to your question the way i read it is in his encounter with the witch he understands he comprehends oh it is joy that you know it is it is joy mirth fullness of spirit Mm -hmm. delight it is these things that are their kryptonite they don't use that word, yes. but it's right, it's, right, it's right. these things that will destroy them. And so in that, you know, spirit, 
I think even he doesn't know that this will work. I think he's just, he draws that crescent moon knowing, or at least presuming, that Mr. Dark will not register it as anything other than a moon. Right. And so, and which, which he doesn't. He doesn't register it as anything. But then when he thinks in his mind and mouths silently, this is my smile. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. firing my smile at you. I do think it is the, the willful force of that, of that joy. This, this, um, again, it, it is a bit of magic, if you will. Sure. Um, sure. it, that, that undermines the darkness they are trying to perpetuate and by which they operate in general. Well, and no, and I appreciate that. Fortunately, I understood, I understood what was there in those yes, moments. Sometimes right. you're like, I, did I miss something? Right, um, right, right, right. But the way you just described that, I don't have a ton of notes for this section, mm, but sure, sure. Um, in chapter 52, which I'm not going to discuss the text of more, just a, 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 a quote mm. that you just sort of conjured to me is sometimes good has weapons and evil none. Mm. And I just mm-hmm. love the way you just described that. I, and I don't even remember exactly how you worded it, but just, he has, he comprehends the weaponizing, which I don't mean in a malevolent no, sense, no, but yeah. the the instrumenting of his own mirth and joy, and that's really uh, powerful. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, I don't have a ton of notes, so we can probably skim through them and then just pivot to theme at any point, either in these next couple of notes or uh, after these, we'll we'll get into the broader themes of the book. Sure. So, um, so yes, uh, the witch is now vanquished, and the carnival, uh, the the bystanders seem to sort of just disappear. They seem to just like, oh, what a what a wonderful trick or whatever, and they pass the witch off as if, they, oh, she's fainted or you know it's all part of the act or whatever, and then they disperse, purely terrified now because they recognize that Halloway knows how to defeat them, mm-hmm. and so. And in that, they need to get away or they need to craft a new strategy, a new plan, which Mr. Dark does. We'll we'll get to that. They also try, I think, to revive Mr. Cougar, but they can't even get him to the carousel in time before he dusts away. They they try to get him there. They have snapped elsewhere in the universe. (laughs) Basically, yes, yes. So they can't even get him to the contraption to reverse his aging process before he just just dusts away. Um, But then... The 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 moment that I really uh, become, again, emotionally overwhelmed again is they they pass through. I can't remember at this moment if they have to pass through this or if they just see it and they think that the carnival that members of the carnival has run into it, but they run into the mirror maze. So um, when they enter the mirror maze. It's really a kind of a haunting and, and powerful segment. When they run into the mirror maze, Charles is halted by the image of what in the book is described as millions. There's not millions of mirrors here, but it is it is an overwhelming sure. army of his own aged self, like sort of oppressing him in this moment. And of course, it's a it's a they, they've um, uh, founded in the book that this mirror maze is not merely a hall of mirrors that it has some incantation power. Yes, exactly. Um, So the image is then that he is now staring down the face of his own overwhelming fragility, 
his own overwhelming feebleness, um, the the oppression of age and time coming to just bear full bore on him. It drives him to his knees, literally. Mm-hmm. And in a moment that just ch- chokes me up so much, um, Charles is buckled under the weight of it, and Will steps in, and I'm skipping over the whole he said, he said, but Will basically says, oh, dad, dad, I don't care how old you are ever. I don't care what. I don't care anything. Dad, I love you. And something in Will's undeterred and unhindered expression of love and affection for his father then causes Charles to to enliven again. And I love this passage. I wrote this down. It says, and then at last he gave the maze, the mirrors, and all time ahead, beyond, around, above, behind, beneath, or squandered inside himself, the only answer possible. He opened his mouth very wide and let the loudest sound of all free. And then I love that it, it just in case the listener doesn't know what it's referring to, it says the witch, if she were alive, would have known that sound and died again. So clearly, just the, like he has burst, he was oppressed under the weight of his own sort of lost time gone time uh you know misbegotten time whatever and now just bursts forth in laughter in a way that causes all i mean the mirrors all shatter they all break and and it it stops the carnival freaks in their tracks um and so it's just again it's a very kind of a a coda on your what you're describing though it takes place in the middle of the following chapter yeah sure sure when the one of my favorite passages maybe from this uh, part of the book uh big part you know part three is after the mirror maze has crumbled uh, it says all because of the sound he had let come from his lungs through his throat out his mouth. And this is the important part to me all because he accepted everything at last mm. accepted the carnival, the Hills beyond the people in the Hills, Jim will, and above all himself and all of life and accepting threw back his head for the second time tonight and showed his acceptance with sound. That's so I just really love above all himself and all of life. That's so wonderful. Because, because it's like, you know, just last week we shared how Charles says a man is never a hero to himself. Mm, and right. here we are closing that loop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, he has, I- he has done the work. I'm sorry to cut you off. He has mm-hmm. done the work. He, he has believed in the boys mm-hmm. and he has risen to the occasion. Yeah. He's shown himself to be, He's shown himself capable mm-hmm. in the moment. Yeah. And that that's that's I think that's new for this character. No, I agree. And I feel like I didn't mention it last week when the section actually came up, but because it is a bit more thematic, but when in the library when when he says I'll refer back to my note here, in the library, uh when he's talking to the boys after they've told him the whole story, and um he says you know, is this my last stop? Chances are. Why am I here at all right now? It seems to help you. Mm-hmm. Yes, very late in the game to help you. That to me is kind of his first, maybe not his very first, but at least his his first substantive step 
to coming into reconciliation with his place in time. I said in an earlier part of the conversation, and this is absolutely thematic, so we can follow this breadcrumb or we can, you know, mention other things if it doesn't take us very far. But um, I mentioned in an earlier segment of our conversation about this book that that is one of the things Charles is wrestling with. When, when we first see him, particularly in the first section of the book, he is at he he is in conflict with his place in time not just with his age that right. is one thing of just feeling like i'm older than i wish i was i didn't do all the things i wanted to do or whatever but it is also broader than that is it it's a reconciliation of his particular being in this moment in time at the age he is right. at you know it, it it's all of those things encompassing and so when he makes that admission to them in the library and then in the end with with what you and I have just read about what he experiences at the end of the book and and uh encountering it with laughter um but just that feeling of saying like yes I, d- to help you like he, I am I am here to do this I am here to right. be this this is my moment in time. And then uh, I don't know if you picked up on this because I don't know if you looked back at it, but the um, character of Stubb in Moby Dick, his quote uh, in on the front page of the book after the passage from Proverbs, it says, I know not all that may be coming, but be it what it will, I'll go to it laughing. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, that, that that's a central thesis of the book is to to greet our world with joy and to beat back the forces of fear and death and darkness with our own vibrance and vitality of life and joy and mayhem and silliness and just beating back the heaviness with unbridled energetic joy um, that I think is is you it's might a, say. A takeaway there, Reed, is to, I don't know, fear nothing else and be, be on, on your way rage. rejoicing. Yes, yes, because that is that is a central it, – it's a concept that at the time I read this book – the first time I read this book, I was 13. And at the time I read it, I remember not so maturely – and concisely capturing that idea, but that those seeds being planted of like, yeah, that that, that – that is it this this you know not allowing yourself to be afraid but allowing yourself the permission to rejoice and to dance you know we we didn't talk about it but so uh a number of things happen jim actually almost gets sucked up by the carnival by the carousel i mean mm. He almost gets sucked up by the carousel. He does get rescued by Will. Will grabs hold of him and pulls him back, but he appears to be lifeless on the ground, uh, is fundamentally lifeless for all intents and purposes. And then while Will is desperately trying to revive Jim, a little boy runs out and uh, begs for Charles to, you know, hey, hey, come quick, help that that bad man, Mr. Dark, or, you know, I mm-hmm. forget exactly mm-hmm. what it says, but he basically is like, come, come, please help, you know. And then Charles recognizes that the little boy in front of him is Mr. Dark, that Mr. Right. Dark has de-aged himself. And when he does this, I just, again, find it so powerful. And this is a man now not only at home in in his own skin, but at home in his time, at home in his town, at home right. in his place. He is he is reconciled and at peace with his specific dot in the whole spectrum of time and space and, and everything else. Like he, this is my this is my place and this is what I am doing and why I'm here to do it. And so he grabs the boy 
and and it it's like a hug. He's just hugging yeah, him. Yeah. And as he's hugging him, Mr. Dark accuses him of being evil. And this is the a line that I wrote down. He pulls him in, he he tightens the hug. He's not it's it's important to recognize that he's hugging the boy so closely and the boy is Mr. Dark, but he's hugging the boy so closely Tilda. that he uh, right. Um, that he, uh, no, this is not Tilda. This is Mr. Dark. Um, oh, oh, right, right. but, um, but he's hugging the boy so closely that he can't, uh, get away, but it's, it's not like he's squeezing the life out of him. That's not quite what's happening. He is hugging him and showing him affection. And this is what the line is. It says, yes, good to evil seems evil. Let me pause. Cause I'm going to read that again. Good to evil seems evil. So I will do only good to you. I will simply hold you and watch you poison yourself. And then, uh, not speaking, the text goes on to say, he gathered the boy somewhat closer and thought, evil has only the power that we give it. Mm -hmm. I give you nothing. I take back starve, starve, starve. And man, what a... What a powerful in, and, to me, incredibly inspiring concept of how to imp- approach those kinds of things. You know, like, I, I give you nothing. I take right. everything back. Well, like, and, you know, the last page has my last note pre any thematics, but we're all, we're basically there. And uh, the boys have run on ahead after this scene. And... It says, the father hesitated only a moment. He felt the vague pain in his chest. If I run, he thought, what will happen? And this is the part that sung out to me. Is death important? No. Everything that happens before death is what counts. Mm. And we've done fine tonight. Even death can't spoil it. So there went the boys, and why not follow? And I just think that that, you know... I, I will fail at this, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to articulate how that line, everything that happens before death is what matters. Hmm. Sums up all I've tried to be after this year with in the morning. Yeah. And now with this and when, when that passage in chapter 50, all because he accepted himself and his life, like the we can only part because to me uh, if you if you're okay with us just yes. ran, run yeah. it running yeah. uh with the vague pain in our side uh, alongside those yeah around yeah. us this notion that i think is so powerful and pertinent and important uh of partnering in right. common cause that love is common cause mm-hmm can only truly be added to by you if you accept yourself and your life and recognize that everything that happens before death is what matters. Yeah, right, right. And what I don't mean is things that happen before death are what matter so that what happens after death can matter. That's not what I mean. Mm, I mean, right. everything that happens before death is what matters. Your capacity to be present your willingness to look at yourself, you know, your willingness to believe Mm -hmm. those who tell you things that may on their surface sound a bit fantastical, Mm 
right. a bit out of the box, a bit outside of your comprehension of the world, and then joining in with them because love looks like common cause. We, we, yeah, we partner right. together in these things. And so to me, it's not so much because the story of Charles Halloway is the story of adult people, mm, right, right, right? You know, I can't relate that greatly to Will and Jim. I can very clearly understand the things that go on in Charles's heart and spirit yes, and mind. Right. Yes. Right. And the, um, the running away from, as opposed to when called for a volunteer saying, mm, I got you, man. Mm, Mm-hmm. Cause, mm-hmm. cause those people need me mm-hmm. and I know they're here and my love for them compels me towards things that are hazardous occasionally to my well being. Right. But right. because of acceptance of self and life, I'm going to choose to, to, you know, to starve Yeah. in the name of partnering. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing out some lofty ideas there. Well, and something that we, um, I, I've resisted it so far and, and, and maybe I need to apologize for resisting it because the language is so beautiful and powerful and wonderful. Let's, let's continue to echo it. But, um, I keep hearing you use the word partnering and my mind goes back to the end game conversation and Ian's talking mm, about mm-hmm. part, partnering in the impossible. And I think about, Charles and and first off he believe first he believes in the impossible he be, he believes the boys because he loves them mm-hmm. and and Jim's not his son but he 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 loves them and trusts them and sees the goodness in them and and therefore believes the impossible and by believing the impossible which is fundamentally by believing in them then I I feel like to go back to the end game conversation, and if, if listeners are listening to this but haven't heard our conversation about Marvel's end game, Avengers end game, uh, we there was a concept there that that is part of what friendship is and what you know this this doing life is. It's partnering in the impossible, and we didn't say it then, but I'll say it now. I think partnering in the impossible begins with kind of accepting the impossible and believing the impossible, and and when I say that. I mean, there are there are so many things these days that I feel, and I'm I'm really going to do a lousy job at doing this. Uh, I hope not to, but I feel like okay. So there's there's a we didn't read this book, but there's a there's an essay by G.K. Chesterton called um, uh, "The Impractical Man," and it is basically, you know, uh, I'm summarizing it perhaps very poorly of saying like, enough with practicality. We need impact. We need impractical people to believe impossible things so that they can be said about the business of making them come into being. That is G.K. Chesterton's, you know, wonderfully articulated essay summarized in brief. You know, uh, uh, enough with practicality. We need impractical people to believe impossible things so that they can begin setting about bringing them into being. And to me, I think there's a there's a large sort of push right now to uh to to hammer in on practical realistic groundedness. And to me, I think 
as I as I reflect on the themes of something wicked this way comes, evil attacks in in this novel. Evil attacks at its heart. It says, "I can give you a do over for your regrets, or mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. I can um, unencumber you from time. I can bring yep. you out of the control of time's power." And in and and in so doing, you will have the freedom to be young forever. Miss Foley is given the the presumably the allure of being able to be young, but then she's she's trapped there. One thing I will say that is somewhat horrific is for the lightning rod salesman and Miss Foley and any of the others affected by that. Like we we get no everything's okay for them. Like as far as right. we know, like they. I'm not saying definitively that they are doomed, but we don't get a lovely little bow saying, and they'll be all right. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you know, right, like right. like what happened to them happened, and it just moved on. But that is the that is the the wicked thing in this book that comes to saying I can I can uh, you know disconnect you from the confines of that and send you forward, send you backward. I can make boys strapping young men, uh, and I can take old men who feel like their time is mostly behind them and I can bring them back to places where they are young and vibrant and 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 all of that is very malevolent and one of the key defeats of evil in this book is to be accepting of the place where you are accepting of this is what has happened to me this is where I am it's part of why I find his volunteering so powerful it citizen father introspective husband night wa- night wanderer and janitor of the public library you know like it's because it doesn't deny right. any of the any of the identifiers it no. it harmonizes them yes and this and is in that this harmonizing is. is what and that's that's a better way of saying what i was trying to scratch out earlier of like in that harmony he finds his moment yes because that is that is what is called for in that moment, and and all of our great all of our great stories, um, David and Goliath, uh, the the hobbits of Hobbiton, like all of our great stories are, you know these these little things, the things that are dismissed by the 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 warriors and the grand schemes at large, like those little things are what turn the fate of the world, you know, like these little these little. Uh, dismissed and disregarded people and things are quite often what the whole of history hinges on. Um, anyway, that's a big. It's like uh, to borrow a Flanagan phrase. It's like confetti. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to read. Can I read a passage real quick? Yeah, and yeah, then by all means. I, I don't know how better to summarize my feelings on the whole and on our conversation than this passage. And it's a it's the bigger version of what I keep coming to but i i can't get away from this love as common cause and i went back to find the section like okay what's going on there and ironically much like we do on the show sometimes it's charles holloway's inner thoughts and of his inability to articulate himself (laughs) (laughs) right right, and right and he's talking to to jim and will and he says what could he say that might make sense to them this is going to be a minute Could he say love was above all common cause, shared experience? That was the vital cement, wasn't it? Could he say how he felt about their all being here tonight on this wild world, running around a big sun which fell through a bigger space, falling through yet vaster immensities of space, maybe toward, maybe away from something? 
Could he say, we share this billion mile an hour ride? We share, important, we share this billion mile an hour ride. Uh, what is mildly important as an inter- interjection here about the carousel? You ride it alone. Um, uh, right, right. We have common cause against the night. You start with little common causes. Why love the boy in a March field with his kite braving the sky? He, this, he, he rattles off this list. Why love some girl viewed from a train? Well, he, it's about togetherness and partnership. Why weep at strangers dead by the road? They resemble friends unseen in 40 years. This is this latter part is my favorite section. Why love the woman who is your wife? Her nose breathes in the air of a world that I know. Therefore, I love that nose. Mm. Her ears hear music. I might sing half the night through. Therefore, I love her ears. Her eyes delight in seasons of the land. And so I love those eyes. Her tongue knows quince, peach, chokeberry, mint, and lime. I love to hear it speaking. Because her flesh knows heat, cold, affliction. I know fire, snow, and pain. Shared and once again shared experience. I'm almost there. Yeah. Billions of prickling textures. Cut one sense away. Cut part of life away. Cut two senses. Life halves itself on the instant. And this is maybe my favorite sentence uh, in this passage. Because it requires partnering in the impossible, being together, shared common cause. It says, we love what we know. We love what we are. Common cause, common cause, common cause of mouth, eye, ear, tongue, hand, nose, flesh, heart, and soul. Mm. You don't, you don't get a better articulation than that. No. And, 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 you know, Someone who would maybe not our listeners because they're with us for this, this long haul. They partner with us in this impossible task. They share in our common cause. And for that, there's mutual love here. But someone just catching a, a snatch of conversation of ours over over the time, over the years, would hear something say like, oh, we love what we know. We love what we are. That's very self-seeking. That's very self-serving. That's very mm. selfish. And I would say, well, well no. <laughs> you, once you know that your common cause and your shared experience is the love you feel. And you are part of that symbiotic relationship. You then love what, you know, I know, read, I love read. I know my children. I love my children. I, these are things. I also love what I am. I am a part of, and with you, I am father, night wanderer, janitor at the local library, like all of these things that make up who I am, that define me in space and time to reject, to hate, to deny those things make me incapable of partnering with you in the impossible, right. of sharing in common cause and thus conveying and experiencing the love shared there. And and listen, I think it's it's the snake eating its tail. It's as impossible to fully recognize and live in the truth that Everything that matters, everything that happens before death is what matters. It's Mm. an impossible task. So what? So we partner in it. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, it folds in on itself back and forth. Yes. Into eternity. Yeah. To put a real sort of punctuation mark there. Right. Right. No, it's, it is, I love, and I don't know if this was precisely what you were saying, but it's what I heard. Um, It's impossible. So we, we can't do it alone. We have right. to partner in it, and uh, and it's so. 
I want to pivot back and and you've so wonderfully you know so, uh, read a passage that kind of summarizes your feelings on it. If you'll if you'll permit me to to do a, a, a comparable thing, um, I'm going to go back to 28. I said last week that 28 is uh, chapter 28 when he's talking to Will about goodness and and uh, mm-hmm. just navigating the world. Uh, I'm going to. This this is a, a deliberate attempt on my part to use a different section of the book to sure, yes sure. and you um, on on the whole like you know common cause and partnering and and to unpack a bit more of that hard work of accepting things mm-hmm. and accepting your place. So um, if you're trying to follow along, I'm on my page one thirty five. But he's talking to Will after the whole conversation where Will said, you know, why aren't you happy? And he says, yeah, yeah. Are you a good person and everything. Um, and he says. Uh, start with sometimes the man who looks happiest in town with the biggest smile is the one carrying the biggest load of sin. There are smiles and smiles. Learn to tell the dark variety from the light, the seal barker and the laugh shouter. Half the time he's covering up. He's had his fun and he's guilty and men do love sin. Will. Oh, how they love it. Never doubt in all shapes, sizes, colors, and smells. Times come when troughs, not tables suit our appetites. Hear a man too loudly praising others and look to wonder if he didn't just get up from the sty. On the other hand, that unhappy, pale, put-upon man walking by who looks all guilt and sin. Why, often that's your good man with a capital G, Will. For being good, this is, this is the part that I really hone in on, for being good is a fearful occupation. Men strain at it and sometimes break in two. I've known a few. You work twice as hard to be a farmer as to be his hog. I suppose it's thinking about trying to be good makes the crack run up the wall one night. A man with high standards, too, the least hair falls on him, sometimes wilts his spine. He can't let himself alone, won't lift himself off the hook if he falls just a breath from grace. And this is something you alluded to earlier. I'm going to skip most of this paragraph, but it says, oh, it would be lovely if you could just be fine, act fine, not think of it all the time. But it's hard, right? And I'm skipping most of that paragraph to go down to this next part. It says, look at me, married at 39, will 39, but I was so busy wrestling myself two falls out of three, I figured I couldn't marry until I had licked myself good and forever. And Check this. Don't miss this statement because, man... Mm-hmm. This to me, too late, I found out you can't wait to become perfect. You got to go out and fall down and get up with everybody else. So at last I look up from my great self-wrestling match one night when your mother came to the library for a book and got me instead. <laughs> and I saw then and there, you take a man half bad and a woman half bad and put their two good halves together and you got one human all good to share between. That's you, Will, for my money. And the strange thing is, son, and sad too, though you're always racing out there on the rim of the lawn and me on the roof using books for shingles, comparing life to libraries, I soon saw you were wiser, sooner, and better than I will ever be. And the, you're talk, we're talking about this partnering in the impossible. We're talking about the, the notion of accepting where we are and who we are. And, and that to me, you know, you can't, you can't wait. He found out too late. You can't wait to be perfect. You got to go out and you got to fall down just like everybody else. And then he finds, when he finally accepted that, this beautiful woman walks in for a library book and gets him instead. Gabrielle Union, no less. <laughs> Married up. You know? But um, so, so, but, but, he, you know, that's, that's this partnership. Oh, 
I can't wait around to to be perfect and good and everything. I got mm-hmm. I got a partner now. I got to start now. And then you take a man half bad and a woman half bad, and then then there's a child all good that they can share between, you know. And it's like that's this this mystery. This this and I'm not just talking about like romantic relationships. This applies sure. to, as as you said. You know, love is the common cause. Like this is the thing we take we take the parts of ourselves that we've fallen down, that we're shy of, that we're embarrassed about, that that we fell down and broke and that hurt us. We take those parts, and when we partner together, something good then comes out of that. And to quote from earlier in the chapter, will that save us when all the wicked things come? It'll help. Right. It'll help. You know, the, what I love so much about that, I'm not going to beat a powerful metaphor that's brief because in its power, I'm not going to beat that to death. But, you know, that's the thing is like, it'll help. That's, that's the promise. What are you looking for? A pie in the sky that everything's going to be perfect, that everything's going to, that everything's going to work out okay. Are you looking for something, uh, you know, this is obviously rhetorical and, and, reflections of myself are 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 you looking for that that promise i had a conversation when the pandemic was hitting and everything was was sort of uh going rather chaotic i had a conversation with a family member of mine um and this family member of mine was championing in their uh intention to be helpful they were championing the you know uh set your heart behind prayer and and I deeply believe in that but set your heart behind prayer and 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 pray or and ask for the good and the blessings and and all of these things and I'm I'm not even trouncing on that right. but but what I said back to this family member and and listeners please bear with me some grace the fact that I am very briefly and perhaps dismissively and reductively summarizing their position and giving mine more gravity recognize that I'm telling the story. I recognize that. But I said back to them, I said, I don't need an assurance that blessings will follow because I don't know if everything's going to be okay. What I am centering myself around, this is what I said to them, what I'm centering myself around is that whatever is waiting, I won't be alone when I face it. And that's what I said to them months and months ago. This was back like May and June, that whatever it is, uh, I don't need my faith or my mindset to. Some, sometimes I want it desperately to just. Hey, can you just give? Can you just sign sign a check somewhere or give me a little guarantee of like, hey, this this is gonna be fine. Just buckle down, hunker down, and everything's gonna right. be okay. We don't we don't know that, man. We are right. This this episode's gonna air the week of Halloween, and there's a great many people in this country who think that the next week could spell the doom of all that is to come. Regard, you know, in in sure. any direction, doom uh, waits with bated breath on the on the horizon of whatever is coming, and and Halloween as a holiday is a perfect. I cannot think of a better time, except for maybe Christmas, to think about all of the things that are sort of uh, waiting to burst forth. Dark things, scary things, ominous things, but also fantastical joys and and uh, fantastical adventures that are just waiting to to spring forth and give birth. And we so desperately cling to these practical applications of how everything's going to be. You know, I I want the guarantee. Give me the guarantee. Give me the security. Give me the assurance. And instead. 
for me, how beautiful to think that here, right now, I'm partnering with you, my friend, in this conversation. I partner daily with my wife to navigate life together. I even, to a degree, young as he is, partner with my son to get through each and every day and moment. I partner with my friends. I partner with my family. These are the things that we do. We partner together, and as as you read, love is the common cause, and we partner together in the impossible. And what is more impossible than, I, I know this is a big statement, but what's more impossible than the fullness of love mm. doing doing what it does? Like that is so impossible, particularly in times like these. Because let me tell you, man, like not trying to be pithy, but I tell you, man, something wicked this way comes. Like, like it's so, <laughs> so vague yet so immense. Like right. that is that is what awaits on the horizon. But we, whether it's you and I in this dialogue right now, whether it's our listeners uh, sharing in this conversation with us, albeit silently, whatever it is, we we partner together. We do we do this together, and we fear nothing else and be on our way rejoicing and and recognize that um, it is that that partnering together that reminds us of love and shares us with love and 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 lifts and and gathers love back into itself i think that's why all the, a part of why all the way back in the garden like it is it, it is not good for man to be alone like yes yeah, sure you can talk about marriage and the garden of eden and all that other sort of stuff but like just take that statement right, and let it right. sit with you it is not good it is not good and the something wicked like I'm 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 edging close to to dancing in a political conversation and I almost think that would cheapen what we're scratching at here so I'm going to try to avoid it to a degree but like the the proprietors of division and the proprietors of people who would say like no I can I can take you back. I can send you back. Remember the remember the good old days. Remember this. Like I can, I can reclaim that for you. I can you do realize you're using Mr. Dark language, right? <laughs> exactly. No, I'm yeah. exactly yes. That is it. The people who say like I can I can bring you back. Pay me your ticket. Let me stamp your ticket. Because Join presence the carnival. in the moment, in the reality in which we live, is difficult and hard and asks a lot. Yes, it says you you. Um, we're so busy trying to become perfect yes. that we neglect to realize it's about falling down and getting up with everybody else. Yes, because goodness is a fearful occupation, and it breaks yes. us in two sometimes. And so we don't we don't want to do it. It it is it is contrary to the impulses. So much easier to hop on the carnival, the carousel. And, and take the ride around forward or backward or whatever we want to do. Just fast forward to the end so we can be past this. Just move us back to when all of this wasn't instead of just being right here. This is, this is the moment. This is the right. time. You and I having this conversation. My family being where we are. My son the age he is. My wife and I the age we are. This is the moment. This is the time. This is our place. This is where we stand. This is where we raise our hand. We say this is, this is who I am and, and where I am. And I will, whether it's, you know, carving crescent moons onto bullets that beat back dark and ominous witches, whatever it is, I will uh, face it rejoicing. I will, I will laugh with it. And well, I will, something that yeah. hadn't even clicked on me until this moment is, is the solidarity, you know, even Charles asks for companionship when he 
when he calls for Will, right? Yes. Like he yes. doesn't he doesn't perform the shotgun trick on his own. He right. he is partnered with in that effort. And mm-hmm. this is my hand. This is my good hand. You know, because that's what that's what he says when wow. Will arrives. Yeah. You know, because because his hand has been crushed. Right. Right. Wickedness has. Uh, they say wickedness. Mister Dark literally right. crushed his hand. And so then when Will comes, this this is my hand. This is well. Then what's so? I mean, you know, the metaphor screams at you, but like something that I've mulled a lot is the reference that has come up a couple times this last month or so of of uh, God is not nostalgia, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how you know we we pine for what was, we envision what might be, and yet as Mister Dark's uh, uh, horrific description of what they're going to do to Will tells us to be back in those places, to be mm-hmm. forward in that time, as evidenced by Cougar's demise. Like these are not healthy places for right. you. No, right. What is healthy and right and good is the present moment. And however much the past may have made you feel a particular way, you know, to deny the potential of what could be in the moment, having experienced all those things, mm-hmm. is to deny your place in the moment. And yeah, that's right. a, I don't, I don't totally know how to follow that, but yeah, it's, this is the, the, yeah, I, I'm going to have to, at a certain point, just stop myself because what the, what the book does to me is it, it in ways that Ray Bradbury was a big champion of metaphor. He was a big champion and believer in just like, Hey, just, let metaphor wash over you, like just just digest it, eat, drink, breathe it in, and just let it do what it does uh, in you. And this book is is just full of them. You know, the plot, as we've already said, is so you know simple and direct. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of major plot moments, but to me, why I, you know, you knew, you knew when I pitched it to you and everything that this was something almost that I was setting ourselves up for like four therapy sessions, <laughs> so I'm, you know, winding this down. But, but this book to me just says so much about like, Oh man, something, something wicked has, has come and it has camped out. It has raised its tent. It is flash and bang. It is mirror and carousel, but we do not have to, uh, basically join the ride. We do not have to succumb to our own whims of it. However strong the pull may be to it that we can, um, we can respond to the fear of death. Cause that in the book is all death is. It's just fear. It leaves everything else sad, but death is just fear. And we can respond to that with joy and rejoicing and, uh, and, and beat it back. That's, we haven't mentioned this, because it's a it, it, it's a plot point that is kind of in a culmination in the end. Uh, what finally restores Jim's lifeless body is when Will and Charles dance around like down. idiots. Yeah. yeah, they dance around like idiots and rejoice and beat back death with their reckless abandon of joy, which I think is just so beautiful and wonderful. And that's what breathes life back into Jim to join that dance and to come back into it. Um, and uh yeah well i guess my final note there too on that notion of metaphor is like i can't 
there, there's multiple quotes from the book that, that kind of, uh, haunt me in the best way possible. And one of those two is everything that happens before death is what matters. And you could use that as a chronological statement, i.e. 50 years from now, however many years from now, when a person dies, the things that happen that precede that are what matters. And I think that's a, a valuable and important takeaway there. But also, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, a stretch to say the carnival itself represents death. Mm, mm-hmm. And, and so you could also interpret that to say everything that happens before death in the presence of death, it is around you. Yeah, it is. It has, it has set up shop. What you do around it matters. Mm-hmm. What you do in the face of it, what you do within the knowledge of its presence matters. Mm-hmm. And the preceding statement to that text is, is death important? No. You know, it's there, right? What is, what is, if, if we're going with the metaphor that the carnival equals death, what is it in sight in the actions of these main characters, Charles, Will, and Jim, it, it incites Will and Jim to connect. I'm sorry, Will and Charles to connect across the generation that has right. held yes. them away from each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I, something I remember, I have this, um, strong memory of the, the revelation of learning in my religious studies at our shared alma mater in a class about the old Testament prophets. And I was at a stage of understanding at the time where not knowing much about quote unquote, the prophets in your head, you assume the prophets and or the prophetic is some sort of uh, signpost to a future thing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, how often people will interpret revelation for instance. But, um, so in my, in my mind, that's how I came in to this class. Like, okay, well, this is kind of what we're going to talk about. It's about how the prophets of the old Testament signal things that were to come for the people that they were with. Whereas the great revelation that happened to me in that class was that the prophets did more to speak to the present moment and the people's understanding and comprehension of it mm-hmm. than they had anything to say about what is to come and far off and and pie in the sky. And I think that's where something like the sentence, everything that happens before death is what matters is prophetic. Mm -hmm. It is calling to you to say your stress, your ambivalence, your anxiousness, your, your concern, your distress, whether it's death itself or COVID, which I am a respecter of that moment and this moment and all that sort of stuff. But, those concerns, it is very scriptural. Those concerns are not yours to carry. Right. Right. It is because what does that, what does that result in? That results in being busy wrestling myself two falls out of three such Mm -hmm. that you find you can't wait to be perfect, but you got to go out and fall down and get up with everybody else. Right. Perfection is a never achievable out there. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. is worrying about death. Yeah. I mean, on a certain no. level. No, ab- no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I feel, you know, that I know you I'll, don't want to, I'll but. never be done. No, I'll <laughs> never be done. Um, but this, you know, this, this Halloween, happy Halloween listeners. Happy Halloween, Nathan. Thank you. Rick. Um, at this, this Halloween, when even the festivities will look very different than they have in years past. 
um, and the the <sighs> spirit of the season. Uh, if if there is anything that reading this book in this time, this time, mm-hmm. pandemic time, upcoming election time, like if there's anything that reading this book, upcoming in what? this what's up, upcoming upcoming election time. Mm. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mark your calendar. So, okay. um, so um, it, it, reading this book in this moment has reminded me of all all that we've shared together. We partner together in the impossible. That love is the common cause. That you cannot wait to be perfect. That you fear nothing else and go on your way rejoicing. Some of that language is ours. Some of that language is borrowed. Some of that language is Bradbury's. Um, but this book has has reminded, like you know, something wicked this way comes, so vague and yet so immense. Um, but as he quotes Moby Dick in the very beginning, uh, but I know not all that may be coming, but be it what it will, I'll go to it laughing. And mm, um, that's great. And I and I just I. I hope uh, I, I should ask before we pivot into you know the conclusion you know fog meter of, of all of this. Have have you enjoyed this? Uh, I know you you did this largely as a favor to me to <laughs> to read this book. I know that. That's what a lot um, of our fear of God experiences. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but did you? Did, I mean, did, that was great. Did, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a it's a worthy uh, worthy to be on the shelf, worthy to be in the spirit, worthy to be in conversation. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful wonderful book. Um I I we can if you want let's do a fog meter for it. Okay. Um and then um uh, so so the fog meter is our our very general metric of uh fear and god. We we rate a thing, mostly movies, but here we have a book um on its scares and its substance if it will. Um listeners will be surprised not at all and i will not qualify it very much i'm going to start with my fear measurement and i'm going to give this a um a nine uh i almost give it a 10 because of its uh, sort of uh gravity of certain things it does not have very many keep you awake at night passages there are probably four or five sections of the book that i would point to and be like that's legit scary like if you mm-hmm. if you come across that passage and you're on the rhythm of the book it is a freaky passage um, but the book as a whole i think is more um inspiring and thought-provoking than it is frightening but i would still give it a nine on the fear factor what would you um i think i will downgrade by a point to an eight um I do think the combination of kind of grotesque imagery coupled with, and this is um, the undiscerning reader might not find this. In other words, I'm thinking like, Hey, if my 12 year old read this one, she'd wet the bed, but two, (laughs) um, are you going to pick up on this? It's more subtext than text, but the existential aspect of um, time and nostalgia and future and, you know, like, Right. Those things, those anxieties take the grotesque literal imagery and amp it up. So yeah. I'm going to go with an eight. Okay. Uh, what would you give it for the God meter? Feel no pressure or obligation. This is not. Stop. Will you stop? <laughs> qualify before I can even speak. Um, qualifying my words is my job. Um, no, I think there's flowery, flowery words. Flowery words. There's flowery <laughs> words, and then there's substance to back it up. And mm. I think this has both in spades. Um, I don't think any of what we've talked about in the last 
almost two hours has been purely of our design or of our extrapolation. I think it's there to tug at and to, you know, uh, mess around with and, and explore more in depth. So no, I'm going to give it a 10, not just because I have a favor to you. That's, that's delightful. Of course, listeners will be surprised. Not one bit that I'm going to give this a 10. This is a, this is a bona fide 10 for me. This, this book is the kind of book that even if I do not reread it beginning to end, I will frequently revisit some of these passages, you know, chapter 40, chapter 28. Uh, there will be passages that I'll pull out and that I will just absorb and digest again. As I said, there are some sections that I feel, uh, bold uh, statement as this may be, are just inches shy of scripture. Um, I think, I think it is, uh, spirit and truth to be sure and, and really does some wonderful things in my heart when I, I let it bounce and dance around in my, in my spirit. So yeah, 10 for me. And that means we give the novel something wicked this way comes, um, a, I'm going to round it up. Because it's like a fractional thing. I'm going to round it up to a nine and a half. So it's a nine and a half well, out of ten on the fog. That said, so. I give our, um, if you combine our forces, our film version of something we have this way comes. I'm going to give it a solid ten. Like that's, that's a, that's that's a, a masterpiece waiting to happen to the typewriter, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah. And, and, uh, you know, you probably, we've probably already answered this question. Listeners know I wholeheartedly recommend this book. Do you rec, would you recommend like, and then I actually, honestly, like, you know, uh, would you recommend that just people pop out? Absolutely. Pick this up I mean, it's a, yeah? it's a, it's a brisk read. Um, um, <laughs> there are blips where you might trip and fall into the pit of poetry, which is okay. Sure, right. But yes, every now and like, I will be real forthright with you trying to finish uh, section two last night. I started to be like, my, I got my eyes got swimmy. I was like, I don't know what I'm reading right now, <laughs> but, <laughs> Understood, but, yeah. but that those are, those feelings are few and far between and it's, you know, yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, when you have thousand page Stephen King books in the world and you've got a 260 page, you know, Bradbury fair, classic, it's, fair, it's no, easy, easy to recommend. Nope. Absolutely. Um, so listeners, there it is. Uh, we hope you have a very, very happy Halloween. Um, this was Halloween. this. Yeah, this this is Halloween. Um, we uh, so so we have a couple of things on the horizon for you. Uh, in in closing this down, we hope you've enjoyed this wandering. We hope sincerely this is uh, a strange and and weird world that we are living in right now with everything going on. I hope that this uh, and, and Nathan, you can certainly speak if you uh, have anything to add in. But I hope that this holiday season is for you. This this Halloween week is uh, full of uh, laughter and wonderful frights and and macabre delights and and uh, wasn't trying to rhyme and and lots of just the wonderful uh, things that this season can bring, but also the reflections of how. Uh, um, you know the 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 darkness threatens and the darkness kicks and screams and and cajoles, but uh, but ultimately uh, evil has only the power that we that we give it. And a, a large part of why I love Halloween so much is because it is uh, my chance, somewhat ironically, uh, to starve the darkness by uh, sort of uh, dancing with it. And so uh, I hope that that same spirit uh, greets you this Halloween. What we have on the horizon is there is a little bonus episode that's going to be dropping 
dropping in a few days. Uh, it's a conversation that I had with Bill Oberst Jr., frequent uh, guest on the show, um, and uh, he has a one-man show about Ray Bradbury that he does. He talks quite a bit about that show, and we talk about Bradbury's work as a whole. Um, I think you would really enjoy that conversation. It's pretty brief, especially compared to the chats that Nathan and I have. Um, so that <laughs> bonus episode is dropping the day before Halloween, and then the very next week, uh, we will be conversing with all of our dear friends about the dead zone. So um, Stephen King's The Dead Zone, watch the film, read the book if you have the moment, um, and uh, we will see you for either or both of those things. Don't forget to go to thefearofgodpodcast.com to vote for 2020-2020 if you haven't already. Nathan, thank you so much for letting me have this conversation, this lengthy, I've, I've just, it's, my hey, spirit is full. It's Love is the blood. common cause, and my common mm-hmm. cause was read this book. <laughs> so wonderful <laughs> um, and listeners thank you so very much for uh, listening uh, along with us um, and as we say on every episode the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing we'll see you next week everybody happy Halloween guys happy Halloween bye the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.